0: making people's lives better.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review. All things Zoomer, worldwide. I'm Libby Neimer. $557,684. That's now the average price of a home in the GTA. Despite predictions of a real estate slowdown, prices keep rising and bidding wars are the order of the day. That's why Zoomer parents are there to help when it's time for their millennial children to enter the market. We'll talk to our house hunting producer, Paul Thomas, and his dad about
1: intergenerational home buying. If you're paying for the drug, and the person who lives in the house next to you also has cancer, but they don't pay, I mean, there's just something
2: horrifically wrong with it. If being diagnosed with cancer isn't scary enough, Imagine finding out your best treatment option would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and OHIP won't cover any of it. It would be a tough pill to swallow, literally. Currently in Ontario, cancer treatments that come in pill form are not covered by the government. Today I'll be joined by Laura Lee Conrad, who's facing this situation with her husband and medical oncologist Dr. Sandeep Sedev. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Last week, Dan Hill joined us on the program to share the story of his late sister Karen and her 30-year struggle with mental illness. This week, another celebrity was in town to shine a spotlight on the topic. Glenn Close gave a speech as part of the Unique Lives series. She was joined on stage by her sister Jessie, who has bipolar disorder and who has a son with schizoaffective disorder. Here's some of what she told us before
1: her appearance. We just had no vocabulary as a family for anything having to do with mental illness. The most important thing about our story is start the conversation. Have the courage to start talking about it because it's something that one in four of us is uh, dealing with.
2: Meanwhile, Toronto's Baycrest, a global leader in aging and brain health, has launched a website to help seniors who are suffering from depression. It aims to educate both seniors and their families and friends about the signs to look for. There's even a self-test that people can use to get a sense of whether they may be suffering from depression and should seek help. You can find it online at baycrest.org. And senior care is poised to be a major issue in the next federal election. Almost 6 in 10 voters in 26 key ridings across the country say they would support another party if their current political brand fails to make senior care a priority in the next election. Those numbers come from a Nanos research poll released earlier this week. Only 23% of the respondents think Ottawa is ready for the future health care needs of an aging population. This past Thursday, the nation was shocked at the sudden passing of former finance minister Jim Flaherty at the age of 64. He is the man credited with steering the country through the economic crisis of 2008 and his untimely death came less than a month after he stepped down as finance minister. Here in Toronto, the CN Tower is glowing green all weekend in his memory. Flaherty was known for always wearing a green tie, especially during a major announcement, always giving the credit to his Irish heritage. You can sign a book of condolences until the end of the day Monday in the Hall of Honour on Parliament Hill, and a state funeral will be held for Jim Flaherty next Wednesday here in the Toronto area. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. As if coping with cancer isn't hard enough. If the treatment your oncologist prescribes comes in pill form, OHIP won't pay for it. Meanwhile, patients who receive their medications intravenously are fully covered. It's an anomaly that doesn't reflect the rapidly changing landscape of cancer drugs. As Loralee Conrad knows well, Her husband, who suffers from kidney cancer, is on a very expensive chemo pill that is extending his life. She's here with Dr. Sandeep Sadev, a medical oncologist.
1: He takes a pill every day for a certain number of days, and then he has a week off, and then he goes back on the drug. It's not a cure, but it is a treatment to hopefully... um, stabilize or shrink his tumors so that he can live a longer life. What's it called and what's the cost of it? Uh, the drug is called Sutant. And the, at the dose he's on, which is an extremely high dose, it's well over $100,000 a year. Wow. Because it's taken in the home, is not covered by OHEP, which was a huge shock to us.
2: Dr. Sadev, the way things work now... Drugs that are delivered intravenously in the hospital are covered, but oral medications aren't. Why is that?
3: I think basically the history of cancer drug development has gone back, you know, to the 60s and earlier, and in the old days, all the drugs we used to use were given intravenously. So all the systems that have evolved to help to cover them, you know, have been a patchwork quilt, you know, to cover the evolving technologies have all been working around giving fairly complex drugs IV through cancer clinics, and they've they've not quite caught up, at least in some provinces. I think in, in the western provinces, BC, Alberta, Manitoba, uh, we don't have the same challenges as we do in Ontario.
2: So what is the situation here? The the government doesn't cover any cancer drugs that are taken orally?
3: It's kind of complicated, but that's part of the problem. It is so complicated. So if you're over 65 in Ontario, is always supposed to pay for your medications. Uh, if you're under 65, they have this Trillium program. And the Trillium program evolved in the 90s to cover costly drugs, particularly for HIV and also for, for cancer, for example, or any drug now that's very costly. But you have to first kind of bury your soul. You have to fill out complex financial documents. You have to look at what your net family income is over the preceding, you know, years and see how much you have to co-pay. And none of those challenges are faced by patients who get the drug, you know, uh, who get other drugs through intravenous routes. So we think it's sort of a a somewhat arbitrary and unfair sort of difference.
1: We went through um, all sorts of hoops applying for this additional support. And that's, thankfully, after two months of waiting and wondering, we were told that we did cover and so Trillium pays the bulk, and we pay uh, an amount that's about $5,000 a year.
2: How many patients are affected by this, or, or what percentage of drugs are oral now?
3: Well, it's evolving quickly. It's estimated in the next couple of years, almost a third of all cancer drugs will be oral. Uh, We're not designing it to be oral on purpose, that's just the way the technology is going. We're better able to understand the molecular mechanisms of cancer and what signals make it tick and spread and how better to block those. And the drugs that happen to be the best for many cancers now are oral.
2: What percentage of cancer patients do you think are affected?
3: I'd say now it's probably at least a quarter.
2: What is the response from OHIP and from the government?
3: I think the government's been catching on to this problem. They are, uh, you know, organizing meetings to address it with various stakeholders. Uh, we have actually met with uh, some of the government policy advisors to to explain the, the true need for our patients. You know, where I think we're trying to uh, get them on board to recognize the problems.
2: Laura Lee, what kind of added stress did this cause, having to apply for Trillium?
3: It
1: was a huge amount of stress. Literally had to go over to the hospital pharmacy to get two weeks' worth of drugs to cover us because we couldn't buy any more than that. And it was Mm $4,000 just for two weeks. We had to do that twice. That's $8,000. And then we finally found out that we were going to get covered. And unfortunately, the system made us jump through hoops. Every couple of days, we'd get a call saying, you need to send this form, you need to fax that. There was no streamline to make it very easy. And I kept thinking, If English isn't your second language, if you're older and a little bit more doddery, if you are alone and feeling horrible because you are sick with this cancer, how are you going to have the stamina, the energy, the wherewithal to go through this bureaucracy and, and hope that you're going to qualify. I mean, it was an awful experience and we were on tender hooks until we finally learned. And then when we learned we qualified, it took two more months to get reimbursed for the first eight thousand that went out of our pocket.
2: Doctor, have you had patients who can't afford the medication?
3: Yes, and usually the barrier is they can't afford the copay. You know the copay you mentioned is important, but the copay is a sliding scale based upon your net income. So people who have less income, you know, don't have the same copay to pay. We have patients who can't afford $200, you know, yeah. much less several $5,000. Uh, so again, it's. It, we, I had a patient, uh, a couple of patients a few weeks ago, where there were two women, both with lung cancer. One of them needed an IV treatment, and I punched it in my computer. We started it in a couple of days, and the other needed a pill treatment, and it's it's taken three, four weeks, and we're still working on it. So it just shows the disparity is what bothers us.
1: And if you're paying for the drug, and the person who lives in the house next to you also has cancer, but they don't pay, I mean, there's just something horrifically wrong with it.
2: Thank you both so much. You're and very welcome. Thank you both. Bye-bye. You. Bye. you can find more information on the fight for fair cancer treatments for all Canadians online at cancertaintyforall.ca. I'm Libby Snymer and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. The spring real estate season is in full bloom, and many Zoomers are out there helping their children buy a starter home. What to look for? We'll find out after the break.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better.
2: The average GTA house price is now closing in on $560,000. Prices are up, sales are up, and supply, not so much. Which means the Canadian dream is almost an impossible dream for many young first-time buyers. But many Zoomer parents are stepping in to help. There's a lot to consider when home buying becomes an intergenerational affair. We're learning that very close to our own home here at the Zoomer Week in Review. Producer Paul Thomas and his wife are trying to buy their first home. Paul is here now with his father, Jim, a retired accountant. I remember that you came in and you said you were putting in an offer and you thought maybe you were the only offer. And the next day you came back and (laughs) there
4: there were eight offers and you just lost your first bidding war. Yep, yep. Well, yeah, so the day started, you know, with us confirming with the agents that, yes, we want to put an offer and I guess the way it's done typically now is they say offers are accepted at 7 p.m. on this particular day. Then that was a week later after it went on the market. So it's first of all, it was weird. We saw the house for like 10 minutes. I mean, you basically have no time to see this house and then decide, yes, we want to put an offer on. And then the day of comes, we put the offer on. We we, you know, our agents called the selling agent. They find out, okay, there's no offers in yet, there's no one registered. So we're getting our hopes up around noon, around one. The day goes on. We hear, okay, there's one more offer. Okay, there's two more offers. So we're like, all right, well, three people, you know, that odds are still fairly good. We get there and um, the street's blocked. No one can park because all these other agents are double parked and they're saying there's seven people there trying to buy the house.
2: This house was a semi Mm -hmm. in a not fantastic neighborhood
4: Mm -hmm.
2: in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And you went in... How much over-asking?
4: We went in 30 over-asking for our initial offer.
2: What do you think, looking at that?
5: It's scary and it's unfortunate for someone, all of those people who are out there, like Paul, trying to get into the housing market. And uh, on the one hand, there's one price uh, that seems to be the listing price, and there's the other that uh, that the house goes for. And how you sort of uh, put your thumb up in the wind and assess what that price is going to be is very difficult.
2: People of the Zoomer generation, our generation or generations, we've made a lot of money in real estate for the most part. And then we look at our children who can barely get in. I mean, a very modest home in Toronto is going to be half a million dollars, maybe more. Mm -hmm. That's right. So what what do you think when you look at that?
5: Again, if you want to benefit from that as we did as a parent, I want to do everything I can to help him get into that market, and I also don't want to have to have Paul wait until I kick the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> so, he might have enough funds to do that. Because obviously, we've got the equity in our house and, you know, some other assets which ultimately will go to our children. So, you want to be able to help them if you can sooner
2: How do you see your role in the whole process?
5: You have to look at what your entire family situation is. In our case, we have three children, so it's great to say, you know, if if the first one is out there in the market and you really want to help them, well, you've got to remember that there's two more perhaps coming along that you may have to do the same thing for and maybe even more depending on when they decide to get into that market. So the decisions you make, I think, have to reflect what you want for your entire family and naturally what you're uh, able to do for your, for your children and uh, what you want to be able to, to do or to sacrifice of your own lifestyle in order to make that happen.
2: And are you uh, prepared to sacrifice your own lifestyle to help your kids get Not a part?
5: whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone wants to help their children. There's no question about that, I think. So everybody uh, has to make that decision. What am I going to give up? Uh, I certainly, uh, I mean, and certainly in my case, I'm not prepared to give up, uh, you know, my future financial security. I'm not that old yet, and I may live a long time. Whatever I do now, I want to be able to say, that's done. And I don't want to have to go back to Paul at some point in the future and say, remember that money that we put into your house, uh, I need it now.
2: So, is the money a gift or, or are, there, are there any strings attached?
5: That's another interesting issue to talk about actually, uh, is how you provide funds uh, to your children. Do you make it a gift or do you make it some sort of a loan so that uh, I have some security for the money that I put into the property, perhaps what you might otherwise call a lien on the house. And that would be for the purpose of protecting family assets. We think Paul and his his wife are in a very sound position, but we've also seen uh, a young couple similar to Paul where um, very shortly after buying their house, the couple split up. Money that their parents put into the house all of a sudden went to the departing spouse. Mm-hmm. I can, yes. Does that we...
2: cause any friction in the couple? No, that mm. makes
5: perfect sense.
2: Do you have advice for other families who are at this juncture?
5: I think we all know that, you know, money can create huge problems in families, uh, and you don't want to do that. You have to really sit down and think about the whole thing across the board uh, for all your children in terms of if you're doing it for one, you better... Be prepared that you're going to do it for all of your children in the same way. And if you're going to do that in the totality, what's that going to do for your own personal financial situation?
2: Thank you both so much.
5: Thank you. Thank you very much. It's nice to have given you uh, our views.
2: I'm Libby Snymer and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break and then return with some music to celebrate the beginning of Passover.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better.
2: Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Scott Walker.
0: In New York, Bullets are flying over Broadway. The new musical by Woody Allen features music from the 1920s, directed by Susan Stroman and based on Allen's hit movie of the same name. It promises to be one of the hottest tickets of the year. Bullets Over Broadway opened on Thursday and runs at the St. James Theatre. In Los Angeles, four-time Academy Award nominee Annette Benning stars in the world premiere of a show based on the first actress to specialize in monologues. Ruth Draper's Monologues runs till May 18th at the Geffen Playhouse. And in Paris, 79 large photographs of First World War battlefields by Irish photographer Mike Scheel make up a free exhibit at the Jardin du Luxembourg Park. That's your International Arts Datebook. I'm Scott Walker.
2: Tomorrow, Monday, April 14th, marks the beginning of Passover, one of the most important Jewish holidays. It commemorates the exodus from Egypt, when the ancient Israelites were liberated from slavery to the pharaohs. A traditional Passover Seder is a ceremonial meal which features the retelling of the story in 15 prescribed steps, with readings, rituals, and songs. One of the most popular songs is Chad One Little Goat. It's the story of a father who buys a goat that is then eaten by the cat, the cat is bitten by the dog, and so on and so on. At face value, it's a fun children's song, but a more serious interpretation is that Chad is an historical allegory for the suffering of the Jewish people— Right now we'll hear it sung by one of the most iconic and entertaining Jewish cantors ever recorded, Moisha Oyscher, who lived from
6: 1906 to 1958. <laughs> Dankran fudusun zeylavidim pavidin I see shuimrov, I see ligadzio, di bo, di bo, di bo, bisrejuzay, bo, the my you the the Cause I've been up in the trees, so they love me, and I love them. I've got your heart, I've got your heart, I've got your heart, I've got your heart. The awesome aleph, the mighty they should act like Maya, the Maya, they should be the children the the
2: That was Moisha Oysher with Chad Gadya, the final song in the Passover Seder. Passover begins at sundown tomorrow, Monday, April 14th. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Sneimer. Thanks for joining me today. Next week we'll bring you some of the music of Easter. We'll see you then.
0: You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bandrea. This has been an
1: exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads.